When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is football coming home? The quarterfinals are here today. Is 55 years of hurt finally ending for an England shirt? Well... We don't know that yet. We will cover that in the coming days. Fear not, we're not resting on the rest days that have just gone. Of course, we are still looking back at tournaments gone by and quite possibly the best tournament ever to have been played in the history of football today. It is Euro 2000. I am Jake from What If Football and this is the 26th edition of the Euro Daily Podcast right with you up until July the 12th. We are on Apple, Spotify, Acast and Amazon or any prominent podcasting platform where if you're feeling generous, a like, subscribe or a five-star review if you're enjoying the show. We will give you three days a week content after the championships. We're also on Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash whatifootball where you can get the Euro Daily podcast and seven days a week, 50 weeks a year, fresh content for the price of a fresh pint. That is £3 here at least. Let's get stuck in to Euro 2000. So we have to go back to 1995. Belgium and the Netherlands were selected as the first ever co-hosts of the European Championship, a trick that has since been repeated three times, if you count this tournament that we are experiencing today, that is in 11 countries, which of course you should count it really. Anyway... The Netherlands weren't going into the tournament well, not in form-wise. Anyway, they had failed to win all their 11 games in 1999. In qualification, Czech Republic were the first qualified, the finalists from 1996, and the only team with a 100% record and went through in June of 1999, which is pretty much unheard of in terms of uh, European qualification. It's usually September, October and November where those spots are sealed, really. Meanwhile, Romania and Sweden held the only other undefeated records in qualification. Portugal qualified behind Romania as its best second place team. Meanwhile, England made the playoffs by the skin of their teeth because Sweden beat Poland on the final day. England, who had transitioned from 
Terry Venables to Glenn Hoddle, failing at the 1998 World Cup in the last 16 against Argentina, and then had found themselves with Kevin Keegan. Keegan already on shaky ground ahead of the tournament in Belgium and the Netherlands. Norway and Spain easily made it through qualification and would be together as well in the main tournament. Yugoslavia made it through despite a 2-2 draw in Croatia, whilst Ireland lost qualification in the final minutes in Macedonia. All three could have qualified in first. Instead, Ireland would go into the playoffs. France needed a win on the final day. 3-2, it was at home to Iceland to qualify on the final day. Meanwhile, Andrei Shevchenko dragged Ukraine into the playoff with a draw in Moscow. Germany held Turkey to a 0-0 draw to ensure that they would qualify automatically and push on the defence of their European crown, which they won in England four years prior. Meanwhile, Turkey made the playoffs. Italy only needed a point in Minsk and did so to qualify automatically. Meanwhile, Denmark were behind them in the playoffs and would whip Israel 8-0 in the playoffs on aggregate. Turkey salvaged an away goals draw, an away goals win over Ireland. Meanwhile, Ukraine was similarly close, but Shevchenko would have to wait a few more years for that tournament football, losing 3-2 to Slovenia. Meanwhile, the biggest game in playoffs would be England versus Scotland, a repeat of the 1996 group stage match. Both exchanged away wins, but England's win in Hamden was much bigger than Scotland's in Wembley, 2-0 versus 1-0, and England qualified. Meanwhile, Scotland would have to wait another 21 years for a sniff at tournament football. Curiously, the European Championship scheduling back in the day, back in 2000, meant that Group A didn't open, but let's cover it A to D, shall we? Let's cover Group A. So, an ageing Romanian side were held by Mehmet Scholl in his equaliser in Liège, which would be a mark of uh, Germany's inferiority throughout the tournament. It was Lothar Matthäus' final tournament for Germany, who was by this point 39 and playing his final few games, at least in club football, over in that there MLS in America. Germany were in a state of flux, to say the very least. They'd gone out to Croatia in the in the quarterfinals of the World Cup in 1998, losing 3-0 in Croatia's debut tournament there. They'd offered Roy Hodgson the job prior to the tournament, and what a different world that would have been in, that we would be inhabiting if Hodgson took the German job. Obviously, Hodgson, no stranger to international football, took Switzerland to the 1994 World Cup, would almost qualify Finland for a for a major tournament some years down the line as well before, of course, filling into that England role in 2012, but more on that in a couple of days' time. Meanwhile, England started incredibly in Eindhoven. Paul Scholes, Stephen Manaman, quite possibly the best tournament opening that England have ever had. Probably you'd have to go back to 1982 with that goal in the first minute against France for that one. But then, of course, the inevitable downfall came and it came quite early. Three goals flew in the first coming from a huge... Luis Figo, Barnstormer, I don't care if it took a deflection, it's still a great goal. <laughs> Nuno Gomez would score the winner in the first half, in the second half, and Portugal would beat England 3-2. Things could only get better. Costinha drove home Portugal's advantage in the second game with a very attritional late winner against Romania in a 1-0 win. Meanwhile, England bounced back in Charleroi against Germany. Alan Shearer getting the winner. In England's highlight of the tournament, Shearer's penultimate international goal, his 29th in an England shirt in a 1-0 win. Shearer, of course, announced his retirement with the England team prior to the tournament. Germany could still qualify, but they were humbled by Portugal's B team, their second string, who uh, 
they put out because they had qualified before the match, before the uh, third match day. Sergio Conceição smashed them with a hat-trick, one of two hat-tricks in the tournament. Meanwhile, the big showdown of the group was England versus Romania. David Seaman injured in the warm-up, Nigel Martin deputised and Romania opened the scoring, but somehow, somewhere, England crept back into the lead. Michael Owen, hero of 1998, scored the second. Shearer's equaliser was his last international goal, but then, as England dropped deeper and deeper... Negative tactics from Kevin Keegan, surprisingly. Phil Neville fouled his opponent. Romania converted the last-minute penalty and England were out at the group stages for the first time in a tournament since 1988. But let's go to happier times. Group B, Belgium, were hosting a tournament and they opened the tournament on home turf in Brussels at the Hazel Stadium against Sweden. Emil Lempenza was supposed to be the star of the show for Belgium and he did star in the opener, grabbing the winner, and Belgium started perfectly. The following day, Antonio Conte was the star of the show, with a creative overhead kick and a 2-1 win over Turkey. For an Italy side who were the, missing the young goalkeeping sensation, Gigi Buffon in net. Francesco Totti announced himself on match day two for what would be a superb tournament for the Roma man, netting his first goal of the tournament in a 2-0 win against the hosts, while Sweden and Turkey's 0-0 draw left Belgium second going into the final game. Belgium held a superior head-to-head record against Sweden and only a point was needed against Turkey on home soil. Sweden wouldn't make it to the quarter-finals, losing late on to an Alessandro Del Piero goal in a 2-1 defeat to uh, Italy, 2-1 in their way to the quarter-finals. Henrik Larsson made his return from a leg break the previous October and was unfortunately unfit for the Swedes. Meanwhile, Hakan Suker killed Belgium's dream of replicating the 1980 final, getting a double for Turkey, Turkey sneaking in through the back door and would play Portugal. Meanwhile, Italy would meet second place from Group A, that being Romania in the quarterfinals. Group C, at least on paper, was perhaps the weakest group in the tournament. You've got Spain, not the team that they were in the 2010s. They'd gone out in the 1998 World Cup group to Nigeria and Paraguay, respectively. Meanwhile, Yugoslavia were unknown. They'd spent some years in exile after the dissolution of Yugoslavia. They had a strong team at the 1990 World Cup, of course, seeded their place at Euro 92 and were barred from the World Cup in 94 Euros in 96 and returned to make a last 16 exit in France 98. They did have a strong team, though. Norway, it would be their first... It would be their most recent tournament in terms of where we are now, but they had been a a mainstay of international football. They were in the World Cup in 94, they were in the World Cup in 98, and Slovenia, well, they were at their first ever international tournament, the outsiders of the lot. But if Croatia could do it four years prior, and indeed two years prior when they got to the semi-finals of the World Cup, let's not forget, then why not Slovenia? And in the first game, the very first game of international tournament football that Slovenia had ever experienced, they went 3-0 up before the hour against Yugoslavia and Charleroi. Sinisa Mihailovic was inexplicably sent off for a punch and then in a separate incident, a push. And Yugoslavia then brought on, from the bench, Savo Milosevic. Milosevic, who grabbed his first goal of the tournament, with Drulovic getting a second before Milosevic completed a six-minute comeback. 3-0 for Slovenia quickly became... 3-3. And there was more drama that day. Spain versus versus Norway in Rotterdam. Spain stunned earlier on in the day. Stefan Iversen scoring the goal. 
Jose Molina's error cost him his international career with Santi Canazares coming in as his replacement. Stefan Everson, of course, who had bet on all of Norway's games, finishing with less than three goals in, and he won that bet quite easily and funded a subsequent holiday in the sun. Anyway, Spain bounced back with a flimsy 2-1 win against Slovenia. Meanwhile, Savo Milosevic was on target again in a fiery win against Norway. So, going into the last day, we had the following permutations. Yugoslavia needed a point. Spain needed to better Norway's score. And Slovenia, well, they just needed a miracle. Slovenia and Norway drew 0-0, which left Spain in need of a win. And on 94 minutes... Spain trailed 3-2. It looked as though they were going out of the groups for a second successive tournament. But then, of course, enter Guys Comendieta, one of the best footballers in this mini-era that we had. He was taking Valencia to a Champions League final the, uh, the month prior and was one of the most coveted stars on the planet. He converted a penalty, but they were still heading out on head-to-head, of course, that, that loss to Norway in the very first game. Their downfall here, but enter Alfonso a goal that dredged Spain beyond Norway and Yugoslavia into first. Yugoslavia qualifying in second. Dad would meet the leaders of Group D, the group of death. The winners of 1976, 1984, 1988 and 1992 all convened on Group D. So essentially, all the winners of the previous European Championships, if you eliminate... West Germany and Germany from the equation since 1968. So the pedigree was rife in Group D. Denmark didn't qualify as holders in from the groups in Euro 96 and didn't have an answer for the world champions France in the opening game, who were a far more attacking outfit than their 1998 counterparts, many of whom, of course, remained. But the manager wasn't Aim Jacquet anymore. It was Roger Lemaire. Lauren Blanc got the first goal, Sylvain Wiltard, and Thierry Henry completed the route Thierry Henry's now traditional finish, curling into the corner, something which Kylian Mbappe might have looked to replicate, but unfortunately didn't in a loss to Switzerland recently. Anyway, let's go back to 2000. Czech Republic were caught cold by co-hosts Netherlands thanks to a 89th minute penalty from Frank de Boer, who has recently lost his job with the national team after elimination a couple of days ago. Back in 2000, they fell once more. Five days later, Czech Republic, Yuri Jorkaev, a star of the show in France, for France, grabbing the winner for their performance as a second match day elimination from the tournament for Czech Republic. Felt cruel, they were one of the better teams at the tournament and had they been placed in a in a kind of draw, say Group C, or any group really, Group C, B or A, they would have qualified quite handsomely, but in this group of all groups, they weren't. They eliminated... It also eliminated Denmark, the result. Denmark couldn't get anything from the Netherlands in Rotterdam, missed a penalty as well. And another three goals shipped without reply. A second half route by the Dutch left Denmark out of pocket once more in the European Championships. It left a game in the final match day between France and the Netherlands with no pressure on it. Both teams were f- quite confident in uh, tying up the quarterfinal regardless of what route, which path they would go down. And... No pressure meant absolutely fantastic football. France went into the halftime break 2-1 up. Frank Dubois scored one of the superb goals of the tournament or the history of the championships with a sumptuous free kick from seemingly 40 yards. And uh, Bolo's ending got the winner prior to the hour mark. It could have been a 9 or 10 goal thriller really, but uh, you had the uh, sense that they were resting in the final couple of minutes there. 
and Czech Republic completed the group with a win over Denmark, of course. France would meet Spain. Netherlands met Yugoslavia in the quarterfinals and we had the sense, really, that we had seen the two best teams meet in the group stages. Was there to be a reunion like 1996 with Germany and Czech Republic in the final, which would be played not in Amsterdam, but in Rotterdam? We'll find out after this short break where we will be covering the knockout phase. And of course, we've got a 2021 trivial teaser sandwiched in between. Welcome back. This is the 2021 trivial teaser. Well done to the following people who got yesterday's answer correct. Dean, Chris, George and Jake, among others, if some uh, Johnny come lately snuck in there after I've uh, delivered the podcast, which we are, of course, on a rest day recording back to back ahead of the quarterfinals. The answer was, of course, Che Adams, with uh, managers such as Harry Redknapp and Nigel Clough, and five players, which I escaped me since I recorded it more than an hour ago. Anyway, today's answer, he's a winger. He's been managed by Frank Debord. He's been managed by Antonio Conte. Five of his teammates have been Wigan Athletic, Hero, Antolin, Alcaraz, Ilkay Gundian, Kevin De Bruyne, Nicholas Bentner, and Thiago Alcantara. Our player today is a winger. He's played underneath Frank de Boer and Antonio Conte. He's played alongside Antolin Alcaraz, Ilkay Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, Nicholas Benton and Thiago Alcantara. You can find out the answer if you listen to tomorrow's show. Alternatively, tweet me at whatif underscore YouTube if you think you know the answer. For now though, we will enter the Euro 2000 knockout phase, and what a knockout phase it was, even if England sadly weren't there. (laughs) Welcome back. For all the promise of the group stages and the uh, fantastic football on show, and the fantastic football that would indeed come later on, at least three of the four quarterfinals, at least looking back with the benefit of hindsight, had very predictable winners. Portugal obliged by picking off Turkey in Amsterdam with Nuno Gomes scoring his second and third goals of the tournament, proving that they could go one step further than 1996 and replicate the teams of Eusebio in 96, uh, in 66 and the team that got beat by France in the 1984 European Championships. 10-man Turkey, of course, had done well to get so far into the knockout phase. It was their first knockout phase match ever. And, of course, two years later, they would reach one step further in the World Cup, getting to the semi-finals and would better the quarterfinal performance eight years later in Austria and Switzerland, but more on that. In the other side of the quarterfinal, and another rewind, Italy faced the age in Romania. Georgi Hadji, which would uh, ultimately be his final international match, sent off and ending his own tournament and in the process. Antonio Conte's through injury. Meanwhile, Francesco Totti got another goal to add to what was becoming a superb tournament for the Roman. Pippo Inzaghi completed the win, which meant they would meet the winner of the Netherlands or Yugoslavia. And to put it bluntly, this was the biggest win in Euro's history, combined with a couple of uh, France win in 1984, Denmark win in 1984, of course, more recently Spain beating Slovakia. Those all finished 5-0, this finished 6-1. Patrick Kluivert bagging a hat-trick, which in turn clinched the golden boot. Meanwhile, Savo Milosevic's consolation goal etched his name into European Championships history with his fifth goal of the tournament, which would prove to be Golden Boot tying with Clivert as well. Netherlands running out 6-1 winners. 
The most keenly contested match of the quarterfinals was saved until last. Spain, always the bridesmaids, never the brides versus France, the world champions in Bruges. Zinedine Zidane stole the show once more, only to be equalised by Geis Comendieta again from the spot. Crucially from the spot. Yori Djokaev, who for me goes under the radar really, scored the winner once more. And with Spain needing a goal from anywhere, and with Mendieta off the pitch, they won a penalty late on. Raul had the chance to score from the spot, put the ball into orbit, and that would be the last penalty that missed the target completely in the European Championships until one Gareth Bale 21 years later. And this tournament in 2000 had more than a few echoes about 1984 about it. Success from 1988 as well. France had beaten Spain in 1984's tournament final, whilst a Portugal semi-final was rekindled in Brussels. There was no Jean Tiganar and Michel Platini combining to deadly effect. But instead, Nuno Gomez was prolific in the tournament and scored once more, opening the scoring against what were now the favourites in France. The time ticked down and it looked as though Portugal were heading through to a first final ever in their history. Zidane was pulling the strings, but he just couldn't get France over the line, it seemed, until Thierry Henry equalised on 51 minutes. The game would go to extra time, of course. Golden goal, extra time at this stage, and heartbreak for Portugal later on. Abel Xavier was adjudged to have handled the ball on the line. Nuno Gomes was sent off for his protestations, banned for several months. Among others, Luis Figo trotted down the down the tunnel and would never resurface as, of course, Zinedine Zidane stepped up to the mark from the penalty spot. His penalty, if he converted it, would end the game, sending Portugal out, putting France through a pressure kick if ever I had seen one. Platini, of course, and Zidane inextricably linked by these two tournaments in 84 and 2000. Platini had scored versus Portugal in extra time in the semi-final in 1984 and Zidane would, of course, do likewise in this game, scoring the winner to cap off a man-of-the-match performance and France were through to another final. In the other semi-final, the pressure was rife on the orange. Italy were the opponents in Amsterdam and the scores somehow, bizarrely, remained goalless throughout 120 minutes. Italy's clean sheet led one of the most luckiest lives you've ever seen. Frank de Boer missed a penalty, and then the Netherlands got a second penalty. The Dutch were supremely confident that they would go through, yet when Kluivert's second penalty struck the post, the pressure ramped up, the confidence drained from the fans, from the players... Frank de Boer missed again in the shootout, as did Yapstam blazing wildly over. Meanwhile, Luigi Di Biagio, Gianluca Passotta, Francesco Totti all scored to make it 3-0 in the shootout. Totti, cheekily like Penenka before him and Perlo after him, with the Penenka or Cuchiao, the spoon in Italy. Patrick Clivert's progression, uh, conversion rather, prolonged the shootout, as did Paolo Maldini's failure to score from the spot. However, Paul Bosveldt's miss confirmed Italy's place in the final, their first European Championships final since 1968. The Dutch, as co-hosts, were out at the semi-final stage in one of the more bizarre penalty shootout performances, really. But Italy marched on to Rotterdam. Would they win it like they did in 1968? Christophe Dugri, in terms of France, he got the nod for the contest in a rotating cast of French Attackers Yori Jokaev came in 
France playing a 4-2-3-1, obviously Zinedine Zidane at the heart of it. Italy played in their usual 3-5-2 hand. Their hand was forced by Gianluca Zambrotta's suspension. Of course, he was red-carded in the semi-final. And Italy performed doggedly in that semi-final, but probably had the best, better chances in the final, I'd say. However, they were facing a French team in Lizarazu, Laurent Blanc, Marcel Desailly, and Lilian Taram, who hadn't lost together in 25 competitive matches for France. The game started frenetically... Both teams had a counter-attack up their sleeve. Zidane was floating around in a three-row, but trying to find space behind the double pivot of Italy, but he would become fruitless in finding that pass, that shot, that goal. And the midfield battle of Deschamps and Vieira versus Luigi Di Biagio and Dimitrio Albertini was the heart of the contest, really. Italy went ahead. They would go ahead, of course. Pesotto found Marco Del Vecchio with... The header, dead in the middle of the box, the volley rather. Only his first of four Italy goals in behind the French defence. The volley, no chance for Fabian Barthez and the goal. Robert Perez came on and changed the game really as there was an exploitation of that left flank by the French. Sylvain Wiltor came on for Christophe Dugary and those two combined 90 minutes on the clock. French probing down that left, finally, finally bore some fruit on the 93rd minute. Sylvain Wiltord received the ball from Robert Perez, future Arsenal teammates, smashes the ball under the glove of Francesco Toldo, Alessandro Del Piero, ruin missed chances after missed chances at the other end, which would have sealed the win for Italy. Meanwhile, the Italians, who were creeping forward out of the dugout to the touchline in order to celebrate their second European Championship win, sunk back into their seats with golden goal, extra time now on the books. Essentially, it was next goal winner in Rotterdam. France, for the entire game, didn't look likely to breach that Italian defence, which had looked so mean throughout the entire tournament. Now, they looked favourites to win. And it was Robert Pires again down that left-hand side, again, French going through that channel. And Robert Pires gifted the goal to David Trezeguet, the championship winning goal, the pattern of play going down the left wing, clipped back to David Trezeguet. Trezeguet, the central striker that France needed, although there was clamour, of course, for Nicolas and Elka. Trezeguet scores, kills the game dead, whips his shirt off, spins it round. I wonder if in 2021, with the game effectively over, would Trezeguet still receive a yellow card for that one? I'm uh, not so sure because of course the game is over but we have seen red cards after the fact after the games beforehand haven't we and even goals seen uh, Brighton versus Manchester United from last year anyway was this the best tournament ever in European Championships history well in terms of long form it can only be rivaled really by 1984 Michel Platini and France the great Spanish team of the time Denmark squeaking through against Belgium in the groups and taking Spain all the way, the dramatic France versus Portugal game in the semi-finals, one of the best games ever. The final slightly didn't live up to the billing, a bit like here really, the the finals are a bit more pressured usually, aren't they? And um, I think it takes, I think 2000 takes the edge on that one, purely because of the group stages were fantastic. Obviously you had the Denmark 3, Belgium 2 game, which settled Group A in 1984, in 2000, you had France versus the Netherlands, which was 
a fest a mini festival of football within the wider festival of football. You had shocks, you had England and Germany going out early, you had Spain on the precipice of going out, but just sneaking through in the uh, arguably one of the games of any any tournament ever in the four three win against against Yugoslavia. In terms of short form tournaments, in terms of European Championships, so early on, 1976 gets overlooked as well. Every game went to extra time. Every game had tons of goals in it. Of course, you had the Penenka. You had the uh, the thing to write home about at the end of the day with Penenka and the immortal moment in the penalty shootout there. You had total football in Dutch who went out to the Czechs. You had um, Germany getting through extra time, West Germany getting through extra time as well in the semi-final. And in terms of World Cups, 1954 as well ranks quite high the amount of goals scored in that one of course a shocking winner at the end of it with West Germany beating the magical Magyars of Hungary 3-2 in the final and um, in terms of World Cups 2002 was a good one I seem to recall 2018 as well in terms of European Championships the one that we are currently experiencing now 2020 isn't too bad either and will be even better if the correct winner wins at the end of it I'll leave that up to your interpretation anyway we're back tomorrow with football action, no more rewinds for the next couple of days because the quarterfinals are here. Switzerland versus Spain and Italy versus Belgium, which we'll be covering. We'll be covering that tomorrow and, of course, previewing England versus Ukraine, Denmark versus Czech Republic. The tournament is getting quite spicy now. Of course, thank you for continued listening support on Patreon as well. Very grateful, supremely grateful for all of those. And until tomorrow... See there. Up the three lines. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.